Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode four of The Weekly List podcast, which accompanies week 84 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended June 23rd, 2018. Welcome. This was an important week for our country. Generations from now, this week will mark the moment Americans realized we were losing our country as we have known it. That's no small thing. It took this moment for our country, I think, to wake up. And anecdotally for me, I've had friends email me, come up at the gym, at the coffee shop to say in some shape or form, you were right. That Trump, who started off his campaign with the Mexican rapist anecdote, continued to fan those flames throughout his campaign, took office, started the Muslim ban, the transgender military ban, Charlottesville, the NFL protests, Maisha Johnson, all the rest of the things that we as a country have endured. This week, I think our country has finally woken up and realized that there's a good part of our country that is racist and now a good part of our country that is alarmed enough to hopefully start to do something about it. This marks the first week that the Republican Party, with some force, fought back against Trump. So let's talk about this week and the major news. And I want to spend a lot of time on what's happening to our southern border and start with that and then go into some of the items from the weekly list. But I also want to discuss some of the things that you missed because of the focus, thankfully, now on our southern border. I want to point out this is the first week that our media was fully engaged on the story, as we've been asking them to do for weeks. This week it was front page, top of the hour, there were reporters down there, but this is noteworthy. We still have not seen pictures of the girls. There's been isolated pictures, we'll talk about that, or video but we're largely not seeing the thousands of migrant girls who have been separated from their parents. We're also not seeing toddlers and babies, although we hear stories and we read reporting on it, we're not seeing those images. We're only seeing images of boys, which is alarming. Our media has not been given access to the detention facilities or the tent facilities. The picture that accompanies week 84 is a tent city, but it's an aerial shot. Our members of Congress, Bill Nelson was turned away in Florida. Other members of Congress in New York and New Jersey were turned away um, from detention centers up in the Northeast. None of our members of Congress have been able to get in to see what's going on in Texas, which should alarm people. This has been done very quietly and now is out in the light of day. So I, you know, this is no small thing. And just to put it into perspective, we are the only country in the world who separates children from parents when they come to this country to seek asylum. Even other rising authoritarian regimes like Hungary, for example, which is not friendly to to people coming in, seeking refuge, does not do that. It's only our country. And the world was looking on with horror. We're going to talk about that this week at what was happening in America. Want to also talk about um, 
what Trump did, which was his executive order, which purportedly ended family separations. But then the regime laid out no real plans to reunite families that were already separated. And we started to see that happen towards the end of the week, but on a very limited basis. Also, and we're going to talk about this, curiously, Trump has ordered military bases to be constructed for, as temporary houses for 20,000 migrant children and over 100,000 migrant adults in military bases around our country. So that is foreboding and um, very disturbing. Reporting this week indicates that Trump with the assistance of Stephen Miller in his White House, believes this is the campaign issue they should run on in 2018 for midterms. Tax policy that they enacted has not been popular in our country. And Trump believes he can continue to drive a wedge in our country by focusing on the others, by having his base um, hate on people that are not white, straight, Christian, and male. And he continued his attacks, he's continued his attempts to dehumanize uh, migrants, comparing them. Um, this week, he used the word, they were infesting our country, again, which is a pattern we've talked about of him dehumanizing them. But he also compares them to, to MS-13 gang members. Every child that is crossing our border is a future MS-13 gang member, if you listen to Trump. Whereas, in fact, um, out of 250,000 uh, migrants who have come into our country, 56, and this is from Fox News tweet, 56 have turned into MS-13 members. That is 0.02%, not 2%, but 0.02% of migrants. But that's been his theme this week, that everybody crossing our border with brown skin is a future gang member. He also spent the week blaming Democrats um, and saying it is their fault that we'd have this terrible policy, even though his Attorney General Sessions stood up on May 8th and announced the zero tolerance policy. So there's been a lot of disinformation and a story I found very interesting this week. The Washington Post reported that Trump has ramped up his tweeting to the fastest rate since he took office, posting an average of 11.3 messages per day. Experts say repetition is an effective tool for convincing people of the veracity of false claims. During this week, Trump has steadily tweeted on two topics. One is immigration, and the other is the Department of Justice Inspector General report that came out last week. We're gonna talk more about both. But again, I want to point out the importance of Trump creating this alternative reality of, of distruth um, and that being helped along by um, propaganda TV, essentially, Fox News and Sinclair Broadcasting. Uh, this week, he had an assist from Fox News stations, Laura Ingram, comparing the detention centers to summer camps or boarding schools. Um, Tucker Carlson that same night said the ruling class, which are the left ruling class, care more about foreigners than our own people. And towards the end of the week, Fox and Friends co-host Brian Kilimead said, it's not that he's doing this to the people of Idaho and Texas. So he's had these assists 
from people at Fox News to feed what he's doing and to make it seem not that bad that these immigrants are the problem. And then Sinclair Broadcasting, which to me is the most alarming because it's like a wolf in sheep's closing and it comes to you as your local news. Boris Epstein has been on the air saying that the liberals are out to get Trump and making up this whole thing. And he's just trying to keep our country safe from these horrible migrant children. Oh my goodness. So the good news was our country, as I mentioned, has woken up and there was pushback. Um, I'm going to cite a few examples before we get into other items, but um, Corey Lewandowski, who on Tuesday night, when a conversation on Fox News came up about a 10-year-old with Down syndromes who had been separated, a Mexican, when he crossed the border from his mother, uh, Lewandowski had said, womp, womp. Well, the next day he was kicked out of his speaking bureau. So that was good news. Laura Ingram and her summer camp comment um, started to lose ads with IAC this week. And Stephen Miller, who is a chief architect and push for this abhorrent policy of being anti-immigrant, um, Nielsen, who is the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, and Sarah Sanders, the press secretary, were all basically thrown out of restaurants or booed out of restaurants that they were eating at this week. And interestingly, Jeff Sessions, ironically, who last week had cited the Bible as justification for his zero tolerance policy and separating families. Um, this week, more than 600 United Methodist clergy and church members brought church law charges against Sessions for his zero tolerance policy of separating migrant families, accusing him of violating the Book of Discipline. Sessions is charged under church law with child abuse, immorality, racial discrimination, and, quote, dissemination of doctrines contrary to the standards of the doctrine of the United Methodist Church. So there has been pushback domestically. There's also been pushback internationally. Um, the UN uh, and other um, in, uh, and other bodies that we're going to talk about as well. And I also just want to mention, and this is kind of alarming, but something that the world is watching, that the Trump regime, in addition to reporters and members of the Congress not being allowed in, refused to allow the Red Cross to come in and help migrant children. So we're going to talk about some of the stories this week related to what happened at our southern border. There are many, and they're very disturbing, and we're going to read through them. But before we get to that, I want to talk about some of the other areas of focus that are important, just in terms of understanding what happened this week. Uh, but we're going to spend the end of the end of the show talking again and going through some of the specific things that were happening to migrant families. Trump started off the week uh, as he starts off every week active on Twitter. He was attacking this week the Washington Post and saying that all their staffers should leave and go on strike. He then repeated this claim, which he said throughout his campaign, which is the media is, quote, the enemy of the people. It's noteworthy. That is a hallmark of authoritarianism, saying that the media is the enemy of the people. We covered that a couple of weeks ago on our podcast, and that's been a theme throughout. He also went after Peter Strzok, and we talked about the Inspector General report. 
He's been tweeting about that steadily, his version of the story. He called Strzok a sick loser who was working with the, quote, totally discredited Mueller team of 13 angry and conflicted Democrats, and again called it a witch hunt. He also said that Strzok worked with slippery James Comey and that Comey is best friends with Robert Mueller and said, quote, a really sick deal, isn't it? So Strzok, after this, has volunteered to go in front of Congress and clear his name. There were hearings on Monday in front of our Senate with FBI Director Ray, who, by the way, was is a Republican and was appointed by Trump, defending the FBI and repeating, contrary to what Trump is tweeting, that this was not a case where they went after Trump with political bias, that the two that were, were called out in this report for their tweets and their text messaging, excuse me, not their tweets, their text messages, were pulled off of the Mueller probe the minute that was discovered. And this was interesting. Senator Whitehouse asked um, FBI Director Way if a lawyer can obstruct justice on behalf of their client. And Ray answered on Monday, quote, absolutely. Monday night, you won't be surprised, Rudy Giuliani said he was just bluffing last week when he called for the Justice Department after the Inspector General report came out to suspend Mueller's investigation. So not getting as much attention this week, but still some hot headlines around um, Rudy Giuliani, Peter Strzok, and the FBI um, coming out of this DOJ Inspector General report. Some other stories about the regime, and this was the feel-good story of the week for me personally. Uh, on Tuesday, a federal judge in Kansas tossed out Chris Krobich's proof of citizenship voter laws. And here's the good part. The judge also sanctioned Kobich, ordering him to take a legal class on the rules of evidence and procedure. That made my week. Um, this is also somewhat alarming. We've talked about in prior weeks, the people that are exiting the Trump regime. On Tuesday, Deputy Chief of Staff Joe Hagan uh, said he is leaving the White House. Hagan has served in every Republican administration since Ronald Reagan's and played a key role in organizing Trump's Singapore summit. So again, the continuing talent drain and the inability of Trump to bring in new people or I should say the disinterest in bringing in new people as well. On Tuesday, Trump rescinded an Obama-era policy that protected oceans and the Great Lakes, instead putting a new emphasis on industries that use oceans, particularly oil and natural gas drilling. What a surprise, they happen to be donating to Trump. Um, this was interesting. On Tuesday also, the Rhode Island State Senate voted 34 to 3 for a bill that will require candidates on a presidential ticket to release tax returns going back five years. The bill will now go to the Rhode Island House. If that passes, Trump will not be able to be on the presidential ballot in Rhode Island in 2020, assuming he's still running at that point. Uh, and that could be a template for other states to use. And something we've talked about that many of the things that we took for granted, we've discovered are norms, not laws. And so here's an example of codifying a norm to make it mandatory for the future. 
This is also interesting. After all the time our media spent in the Super Bowl pageantry and the CNN countdown clock for the Singapore summit last week, uh, and we had speculated in the last podcast that nothing came of it. On Tuesday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo abruptly canceled a planned um, visit with our Congress to debrief them on this plan that um, Trump and Kim Jong-un, which Trump had hailed as a breakthrough, had come up with. There's been no date yet for it to be rescheduled. And then on Friday, in a letter to Congress, Trump said North Korea's, quote, provocation, destabilizing, and repressive actions continue to constitute an unusual and extraordinary threat, reversing his statement last week that there was nothing to worry about. North Korea uh, has met with China three times as well. Um, But whatever Trump thought, whatever he had promised last week, amidst all that stagecraft, it looks like all we did was elevate Kim Jong-un. Other stories from last week, Um, The Intercept reported that Scott Pruitt now has spent $4.6 million on his security. Uh, This is information from the Freedom of Information Act that's coming out. That shows an increase of $1.1 million from one month ago. So despite being caught red-handed, doesn't seem to really stop him. This was a big story that got totally lost in the chaos, and let's pray this doesn't happen. But on Thursday, the White House proposed a radical overhaul of the federal government in an 132-page plan. The Trump regime said it plans to shake up what the one official called a nonsensical bureaucracy. What this plan basically does is consolidate power in the hands of Trump. There's going to be a massive sell-off of real estate assets owned by the U.S. government and a massive rollback of regulations and um, and also agencies sharing responsibility and privatizing. So let's talk about some of the other things under this plan. The Department of Education and Department of Labor would merge other agencies' responsibility, especially as relates to the environment, would be merged. Uh, The plan also proposes to privatize the U.S. Post Office and the FAA and eliminate more than one-third of U.S. public health corps and would result in a massive sale of government properties. And this is an important one. There would also be a consolidation of safety net programs, placing every domestic program for poor families and children under a single welfare authority. So this report is pretty alarming. There was limited reporting on it, but that is the story we definitely want to be watching in the coming weeks because, again, it received very little coverage in the chaos this week. I also want to talk about what's happened related to investigations of of Trump and his inner circle that continue on. On Sunday, the Washington Post reported that in May 2016, Roger Stone met with a man who called himself Henry Greenberg and offered damaging information on Hillary Clinton. The meeting was arranged by Michael Caputo, who worked for Trump's campaign at the time. The man wore a Make America Great Again hat and had a Russian accent and wanted $2 million for the dirt. 
Stone said, Trump doesn't pay for anything. On May 29th, and again, this is months before the actual release by WikiLeaks of Hillary Clinton and DNC emails. On May 29th, in a series of texts, Caputo wrote, how crazy is this Russian? Noting that Greenberg wanted big money. Stone replied, waste of time. The meeting was not previously disclosed by Cohen or Caputo to federal investigators or to the Senate. On Monday, Stone told NBC News he forgot to tell investigators about his contact and that it was his memory was jogged by Caputo mentioning it to him this week. Yeah, we forget when we meet with all those Russians. It just kind of slips our mind. Um, also interesting happenings this week with Michael Cohen, who hired Guy Petrillo, who served as the chief of the criminal division in the Southern District of New York from 2008 to 2009. That's the same district, SDNY, where Cohen's case is ongoing. Uh, people in the know and experts said that this is a sign that Cohen is likely cooperating because this guy Petrillo would be friends with or contacts with um, people in the Southern District, not adversarial, and what this likely sends up flares that there is cooperation being looked into. Uh, also reported this week that Cohen told associates he wants Trump to pay his legal fees, saying he's frustrated Trump is not paying and it's bankrupting him. And then on Wednesday, Cohen resigned as deputy finance chair of the Republican National Committee's Finance Committee. That makes him third to do so after Steve Wynn with his sexual assault allegations, as well as Elliot Brody, who stepped down after the embarrassing information came out of actually Cohen paying off uh, a woman that he had had an alleged affair with. Cohen becomes the third to step down, citing he couldn't give attention and dedication with the ongoing investigations by Mueller and the Southern District. Cohen also criticized Trump's policies of separating families, saying, quote, children should never be used as a bargaining chip. This is the first time he has distanced himself from Trump publicly. There was also news this week related to Cohen and silencing women that had spoke, were planning to speak out about their relationship with Trump. On Wednesday, the Wall Street Journal reported that federal prosecutors have subpoenaed America Media Inc., publisher of National Enquirer, which is owned by Trump ally David Pecker, for records relating to the 150,000 payment to Karen McDougal. Investigators are probing potential efforts by Cohen to suppress damaging information about Trump during the presidential campaign and whether he coordinated with AMI to not publish her accounts. On Thursday, the Washington Post reported National Enquirer executives sent digital copies of the tabloid's articles and cover images of Trump and his political opponents to Cohen during the presidential campaign. Also, it's reported that Trump had say in what stories the National Enquirer ran, including one about Hillary Clinton's health shortly before the election. On Friday in the Southern District of New York, Judge Woods has certified now that of the first 300,000 items that were seized during the FBI raid, only 161 of those are privileged and seven are communications between Cohen and a client. 
3.7 million items seized from Cohen are still under review, and the judge has given until June 27th to complete that. So we'll be watching more for Cohen in the coming weeks. Other stories that got little attention but relate to Russia. The Miami Herald and McClatchy teamed up this week and in their reporting have discovered that buyers connected to Russia or former Soviet republics made 86 purchases totaling 109 million at 10 Trump branded properties in South Florida and in New York City. The purchases were made in cash and almost all were purchased by shell companies, typically used to obscure identities, both raising concerns about possible money laundering, the cash and the shell companies. So those stories continue on. We're still waiting for the shoe to drop on the Russia probe. Reporting came out that the uh, Senator Warren, who is the ranking Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, said, told Ed a fundraiser to stay tuned that you won't believe what's going to be coming next from Mueller. So we'll look forward to that. And now I want to talk about what happened at our southern border. This was such a hard week for so many of us. Um, emotionally exhausting when we finally got reporting about what's been happening in our southern border. It's just been so disturbing. I want to make one point before we get into it, and that is away from what's happening in our southern border, which is finally this week getting adequate reporting. This kind of stuff has been going on on weekly lists throughout Trump's time in office with ICE. And there's a story this week by The Intercept, um, which is up in New York in my area, of a woman who is in a sanctuary, taking sanctuary in New York City in a church because she's afraid of being ripped apart from her kids and deported. Those stories are in the weekly list happening all over our country, carried out by ICE. So those continue despite whatever advancements or whatever things happen during the week related to what's happening in our southern border. The Trump continues to try to make our country more white and get rid of people in our country whose skin is brown or black. This week started off with some shocking reporting, and I want to recognize some media outlets that did an outstanding job this week. The AP did some outstanding journalism. MSNBC has been down there, sent crews down there to report. Um, The Houston Chronicle, I actually had to take out a subscription, and the Washington Post has continued to do good work. Um, Although our media is there en masse, again, I need to point out they're not being given access to detention facilities. Border Patrol is releasing essentially propaganda video and pictures that they want us to see, but they are not allowing our media to get access, especially we've only seen one video showing any girls. We're not seeing pictures of babies or toddlers either. So very disconcerting and a lot of people talking this week, hashtag, where are the girls? The week started out um, with Laura Bush, former first lady Laura Bush, writing an op-ed that got a lot of attention, um, criticizing what Trump was doing, comparing it to the dark chapter in our country with internment camps. All the other first ladies spoke out as well, past first ladies in the early part of the week. And I want to open up with some reporting by the AP, which is 
gut-wrenching, but it's important that we read some of this stuff. The story still, as I reread it, and as I, I, I have to read all these stories, folks, which is not, this was one of the hardest weeks to actually have to read these stories from start to finish, all of them to be the scribe of, of what's happening. Um, these are heartbreaking. So I'm, I'm reading them, but I, you know, as, as, as a human being, it's, it's hard not to be impacted reading these stories. This is from AP on Monday reported an old warehouse in McAllen, Texas, where hundreds of children wait in a series of cages. One cage had 20 children inside. More than 1,100 people were in the dark facility. A 16-year-old said she was helping care for a two-year-old in her cage for three days. I wanna read that again. Helping care for a two-year-old in her cage for three days because the child's aunt was somewhere else in the facility. The teen said she had to show others how to change the girl's diaper. And this is the reporting we know. These other kids, babies, toddlers, we don't have any access to know how they're being taken care of, any videos, any pictures. Where are the girls? On Monday, ProPublica released a shocking audio of children inside a U.S. Customs and Border Protection facility crying after being separated from their parents. That audio is the only audio or video or pictures that we've independently gotten of toddlers and and babies. Um, There's one other video that was recorded of girls by New York One on Tuesday evening in the middle of the night of five girls being taken into an East Harlem shelter. But that's the only thing we saw all week. The ProPublica audio was all over our media. And because there's no other uh, um, pictures being released or audio, people were using in the media the Border Patrol propaganda along with this audio. The audio was also used by Ted Lieu on the floor of Congress, and ironically, protesters outside of Nielsen's house Friday played the audio. But it was shocking, and it's the tip of an iceberg that we're unable to see at this point. Trump, in reaction to all this on Monday, addressed the media and said the United States, quote, will not be a migrant camp and it will not be a refugee holding facility, not on my watch. Trump blamed the Democrats and lack of immigration reform saying what's happened is so sad. And that was a theme throughout the week. Trump saying the Democrats need to end this, even though that's false, it's a lie. This is part of his zero tolerance policy that Sessions bragged about, but he spent the week, he and his regime with this false propaganda. On Monday, when it was time for the daily press briefing at 1.15, Sarah Sanders refused to surface. And instead, they waited for Nielsen, Secretary Nielsen, to be flown in from Louisiana. Nielsen repeated the false claim that only Congress could fix family separation, blaming, quote, loopholes in our federal immigration laws and saying the regime had no control but to enforce the law. She dodged questions on photos of children in cages and the lack of photos with girls saying she didn't know, I'll get back to you. Um, And then after that disastrous press briefing, the next four days, there was no press press briefings despite what was going on during the week. Um, Nielsen was 
did very poorly, but Trump, of course, congratulated her. The next day, ironically, she went to a Mexican restaurant and was booed there and, and left. Um, other stories started to come out during the week. One we talked about in the intro, the Wall Street Journal that reported the Mexican government criticizing Trump's policy and citing a 10-year-old with Down syndrome who was separated from her mother and 10-year-old brother as they entered the United States. Attorney generals of at least eight states, including two Republicans, said they would withhold or recall National Guard troops that were sent to our southern border, citing Trump's family separation policy. On Tuesday, the Daily Mail actually reported on the first legal challenge to the regime's policy of separating families, a Guatemalan woman was suing six federal agencies and 10 top officials for forcibly separating her from her seven-year-old as they crossed the border and she was seeking asylum. And I need to point out, it is legal to come into this country and seek asylum. People have asked me, they're saying that they see online that Trump supporters are saying we're for immigration, just not illegal immigration. This is not illegal immigration. The people coming to this country seeking asylum on our southern border because they're escaping atrocities at home is legal. They are supposed to be processed and go through our, our process of asylum. Instead, what is happening, the reporting this week showed that there were cameras this week of these People coming after going thousands of miles to escape gang members and rape, coming to our border, being turned away day after day at the asylum center saying, sorry, it's full. Um, being left out in the heat without food, without shelter, waiting to get processed. And so some do cross illegally, but even those crossing illegally are separated from their children. It's almost like a ransom. So that case was put forward on Tuesday. And then the first possible like bright light on Friday, she was reunited with her son. So what's happened during the week on Tuesday, we started to have more and more stories come out that were, were shocking. Um, another shocking one, again, from the AP reporting that the Trump regime is sending babies and young children forcibly separated from their parents to at least three, quote, tender age shelters in South Texas. A fourth shelter is planned in Houston. They'd have up to 240 children in warehouses previously used for people displaced by Hurricane Harvey. The shelters are operated by contractor Southwest Key Programs. And those contractors need to hire people to help. They have no expertise. Lawyers and medical providers who have visited the shelters described playrooms of crying preschool and aged children in crisis. Experts warned separation can cause permanent damage. And I want to read this quote by Michelle Brain, who is a director of Women's Refugee Commission. She said, quote, there is no model for how you house tons of little children in cots institutionally in our country. We don't do orphanages. Our child welfare has recognized that it is an inappropriate setting for little children. That story came out Tuesday night. It broke, for those of you who watch MSNBC during Rachel Maddow's show, and Rachel actually teared up reporting and reading that story, which I think many of us teared up reading that story. Also on Tuesday night, we talked about the New York One reporting of girls in the middle of the night being flown in. 
Uh, that was the only sighting of girls. There was also reporting the next day by the Detroit Free Press of a foster care program receiving more than 50, quote, petrified migrant children who landed in the middle of the night after being separated from their families. The average age of the children was eight years old and included babies. Some have not been able to speak to their parents for more than 30 days. Also on Wednesday, the Texas Tribune reported children held in the Shiloh Treatment Center, a contractor that houses immigrant minors, was described in the lawsuit as having children held down and forcibly injected with drugs. So all these stories were coming out Wednesday. And then finally, Wednesday afternoon, Trump signed an executive order. But again, like everything else this regime does, there was no preparation. There was no thought as to what came next. In fact, this word separation was misspelled in the executive order when it was first put online and they had to take that offline and put it back up. But essentially what it does is end, which it turns out he can do, separation of children from parents, but instead says they that they will be together in detention centers until the cases can be heard. There is a law in place that says children can only be in detention awaiting trial for 20 days. So Sessions during the week was trying to undo that law, which met with widespread condemnation um, as a solution. But in any case, as this was enacted, the Washington Post reported that government officials say they have given detained parents flyers with toll-free numbers of how to get back with their kids. But one lawyer said none of their clients had received one. Lawyers also said that they had called the numbers on the flyers and that no one did pick up. And when someone did pick up, they could only um, give vague statements like within the United States. So on Wednesday, there started to be additional worldwide condemnation. Um, Secretary General Thorngood Shaglin, excuse my pronunciation, of Human Rights Watchdog Council of Europe, cited events in the U.S. southern border and said Trump is, quote, no longer the moral leader of his country or the world. Um, this gentleman is also one of five members of the committee that awards the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, there were also stories on Thursday um, that the governor of Virginia, after reporting by AP uh, on a detention facility, Shenandoah Valley, in his state, that there was a sworn statement from Latino youth held for months or years saying that they were beaten while handcuffed, locked up for periods in solitary confinement, and left nude and shivering in concrete cells. The children were accused of belonging to violent gangs, including MS-13, but a manager told Congress that they did not appear to be gang members and were suffering from mental health issues resulting from trauma endured in their home countries. <sighs> so that happened. Um, towards the end of the week, after Trump signed his executive order, and these this is alarming and I, I something you need to focus on, on Thursday and Friday, there was report, reporting, first on Thursday by the Washington Post of memos uh, where the military, in this case, the Pentagon was asked to prepare temporary housing for an additional 20,000 children on military bases. Why do we need housing for 20,000 children if we're not separating children? And then on Friday, Time had a leaked memo from the Navy requesting housing for 119,000 migrants 
um, in bases in California as well as in Florida. So hundreds of thousands of additional housing for what? For this policy and a lot of people were comparing this to concentration camps where are these people why are we not processing them and letting these people go through the asylum process process and release them so there was a lot of concern about that on friday the u.n human rights office said trump's new executive order may lead to indefinite detention of entire families in violation of the international human rights standard the office said that the new policy does not go far enough, saying placing immigrant children in detention harms their development and, quote, may amount to torture. I want to also note that the United States, as of this week, is no longer part of the UN Human Rights Office. Pompeo and Haley announced that this week, allegedly because of anti-Israel bias, which may or may not be true, but on Wednesday after that we announced that, Israel and said in statements they were upset that the U.S. had pulled out of this commission, that this was they were a voice of defense for Israel. So that does seem like the excuse for why we pulled out might be different than the reality for why we point, pulled out. But Trump continued after and closed out the week instead of you know, trying to do something to help these children reunite with their families by instead holding an event at the White House with angel families, which he had used throughout his campaign. He had 11 families who stood behind him holding poster-sized photos of their deceased relatives who were killed at the hands of illegal immigrants. As I said in the opening, the number of illegal immigrants who come the number of migrants who end up in gangs is 0.02%. Cities where there are a lot of immigrants living are actually less violent. Studies find that's also in this weekly list, but facts never bother Trump. Um, he had this this you know event and said, quote, "You never hear this side." These are American citizens permanently separated from their loved ones, permanently because they were killed by criminal illegal aliens. After the event, and someone sent me this article asking me, is this true? Who does such a thing? To which I said, Trump. Trump autographed the photos of deceased young people being held up by angel families who stood behind him. So that's how Trump closed out the week. And I want to close out this podcast with a poem that someone who had served 14 years in the military sent me. And I'm always surprised by the number of messages I get from people in law enforcement and the military who are so upset about what Trump is doing. But I think this little poem kind of says it all. If the United States of America saw what the United States of America is doing, the United States of America would invade the United States of America. Take that in for a moment. Please share this podcast with your friends. And if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave a review or a rating to help spread the word. Until next time, we'll look forward to hearing from you. Take care. Take care.